I'm going to invite everybody to go ahead and come on in. We're going to get started with our adult Sunday school hour. Thank you for coming this morning. We're excited to get to dive into our adult class together. We started last week on the topic of how to study the Bible. So if you want to come on in and grab your seats, we're going to pray together, and then we're going to um, dive into this topic of Bible study. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we praise you because you are an awesome God who is worthy of thanks and praise and all glory. We recognize that we are a needy people, that you are an awesome God, and that we bow before you this morning asking that you would help us to grow in faith and conviction of your truth so that we might be transformed and changed into the image of your Son as you've planned, as you've promised, and as you will provide. And so we ask in faith, knowing that you're able to do it, and we ask for your help this morning, that you would guide us according to your word, so that we might bring glory to your great name. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this class on how to study the Bible is extremely, extremely important, and this is why. Not because I'm teaching it, not because of anything other than we must know who God is. And I want you to understand that this class is really going to be scratching the surface. We're not going to get into all the details of everything, but how many of you have taken a uh, driver's ed course before? Did they teach you every single thing you needed to know about driving in that short class? No, but they taught you some principles, right? And you can probably tell from some of the college students that drive around town, they probably should take a driver's ed class, right? They're not following all the rules of the road. There are some principles that govern the way we drive, and you teach them in a driver's ed class so that you can um, have the tools you need to know how to operate your vehicle, how to read the signs on the road, and know how the lines are painted and the colors, and understand how we're supposed to safely guide ourselves in a drive from one destination to another. And that's really what we're aiming to do in this class, is give you some tools, know how to read the signs, know how to operate in the skills of studying, reading, praying, and considering God's truth as a student of God's word to know him more. So there are really some, some simple and, and truths and rules for us to study the Bible well, um, but really a lot of times they're not explicitly stated. And so a lot of times what happens is we just kind of observe from preaching, from our Sunday school classes, what others do, and we just kind of import that into our own personal time. But it's really important for us to take some time to do this explicitly and teach what is it that we should be doing. And as we talked about last week, we really wanted to address just the why. We wanted to understand why study the Bible. And from Scripture, what we saw was uh, that it's a necessary duty and delight to know the living God. And that as a part of that, as a result of knowing God and studying his word as he's revealed himself, we grow into mature living guided by God's wisdom. Our goal is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. So where do we start? Where do we actually start? Now that we know um, and understand what we ought to be doing according to scripture and its purpose and its blessing that comes with it, where do we actually start with Bible study? And the, the really simple Um, Sunday school answer is that we're supposed to pray and read, right? We're supposed to pray and read, and this seems really elementary, you could say, and it is in a sense. Um, You've probably heard this if you grew up in the church in Sunday school, oftentimes, but we want to understand that the point of the lesson today is to pray and read. We need to see this, and we want to grow in our conviction of understanding these really true fundamentals 
of studying God's word. And maybe this morning you're thinking, I woke up early to my alarm and you're telling me I need to pray and read. But in the words of Vince Lombardi, this is a football, right? That's what he did. He won the Super Bowl with a team and he started the next season saying, guys, we need to get back to the fundamentals. This is a football. We need to understand and grow in our conviction and have that conviction not just anchored to what a teacher has said, but anchored to God's word and his truth. So first, let's start with understanding the necessity of prayer, why we must pray. And scripture speaks to this a lot. And I think there's a temptation in the life of us as believers to incorrectly believe that although we are saved by God's grace, we are sanctified by man's grit. And I think it's, it's really a, a dangerous set of thinking. It's contrary to scripture. And even in Romans chapter five, Paul is saying, therefore, since we have been justified, and he says that we're standing in this grace. And I think it needs to recognize that everything from start to finish is God's work of salvation. It's by his grace. So in prayer, what happens is we actually bow before our creator and savior in praise and confession and thanksgiving and supplication. In casting our cares on Christ, we remember that he cares for us. It's in prayer that we humble ourselves before our holy God and express our total dependence on him alone. And it's in this way that it makes war against our sinful flesh. This is really why prayer is an essential first step when approaching God's word. And there's several passages that speak to this warfare against the flesh. Galatians 5, 16 and 17, Paul would write saying, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. There's this war, this contrary nature between the spirit and our sinful flesh. He would speak again of this um, opposition in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Paul would say, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is actually hostile to God, for it does not submit, he says, to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8.8. It's essential for us to pray because we must be filled with the spirit and we need God's help to understand his word. Paul would talk about this again in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He would write, starting in verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths for those who are spiritual. And in verse 14, he really summarizes this statement by saying, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he does, or he is not, rather, able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. For us to understand God's word, we need God's Spirit. We also see in the Gospel of John this emphasis on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus uh, was speaking in John chapter 6, and he says, 
uh, that there was, there was many hard sayings, and they were saying, who can listen to it? The disciples asked this to Jesus, and he says um, in verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And when you think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's important for us to think through John chapter 14 through 16. John 14, 15, and 16, there's a ton in there of Jesus speaking about what the Holy Spirit would do, why it was coming, and its ministry. And in John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, he says, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is one of the precious roles of the Holy Spirit that he does in the lives of, uh, of God's saints. And he works by teaching us according to God's word. Again, in John 15, 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, he calls the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Spirit bears witness about Christ. And then again in John 16, 13 through 15, Jesus would say, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Again, he says, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Twice he says this phrase, he will declare it to you. I think there's this important principle when it comes to addressing God's word, to coming to it to study, and that is the discipline of prayer. It's important for us to understand this is, this is a principle. If you're taking notes and writing something down, it's important to know. I didn't come up with this phrase, but it's concise and sweet, and I think it's been passed around probably for decades. But the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to transform the people of God. If you believe that to be true, you will start with prayer. You will humble yourself before God and say, Lord, I can open up your word and I can read intellectually to try to gather data, but if your spirit is not taking your word to transform me, there will be no fruitful understanding, no real comprehension in studying God's word. So this morning, it's important for us to know that the spirit of God uses the word of God to transform the people of God. And when we believe what God's word declares about our total dependence on God's grace, we will go to him in prayer. We will ask for his spirit to help us understand, to teach us, to give us understanding according to God's revealed word. But not only do we need to understand that we pray because we need God's help, but also we need to say, what is it we should pray for? What exactly should we be praying when approaching to study God's word, what should we ask of God in our supplications? Well, Scripture does not leave us uh, void of this answer. Thankfully, God has not left us to figure it out all on our own, but repeatedly in Scripture we see prayers over and over again, and especially I would highlight Psalm 119. If you read through Psalm 119, it's all about delighting in God's law and his statutes and his commandments in his word. And over and over again in Psalm 119, you see these prayers pop up in this acrostic psalm. In Psalm 119.8, the psalmist writes, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. In verse 33, the psalmist says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep them to the end. In 73, he says, 
Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Also in Psalm 119, 33 through 35, I love these three verses packed together. He says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in them. Again, in Psalm verse 119, verse 125, I am your servant. Give me understanding. 144, your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding. Verse 169, give me understanding according to your word. There's a total dependence in the statement that says, Lord, I need you to give me understanding. That should be our prayers. But we also see in the New Testament, Paul repeatedly addressing in his letters, opening often with a prayer for the church he's writing to. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? When we come to pray, we need to understand that we're asking for God to illuminate our hearts, illuminate our minds to understand his truth. And we need to understand the difference even between illumination and inspiration. We don't come to God's word looking for some sort of inspirational statement or something that really warms me and makes me feel like gooey gooey fuzzy. What we need to come to God's word is say, Lord, I actually need to know what you have said. And I pray that you would remove the scales of my sinful flesh from my eyes so that I will delight in your truth, not bringing my own ideas, but asking that you would open my eyes to see the truth that you are conveying through your word. Paul would also say in Philippians Uh, chapter 1, he would open up and say, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He says again in Colossians chapter 1, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we also know in um, the book of James, chapter 1, James would um, exhort us to go to God and ask him in faith, not doubting, for wisdom. He says in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that has been driven and tossed by the wind. We need to recognize that the priority of the content of our prayers ought to be these verbs, these words that are repeated in Scripture. We need to pray, God, give me understanding. Teach me according to your word. Lead me into your truth. Open my eyes that I would delight in your law. These are prayers that we should have ready and, and, and launching out from our own lips as we declare in humility and our dependence on God before addressing his word. So there's some prayerful attitudes uh, that I wanted to really just highlight based on these texts 
that ought to be a driving, earnest desire for us as we pray before studying God's word. And we see this um, really as, as a heart issue. Um, and I see this again pop up in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. It says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it and teach his statutes and the rules in Israel. And we need to have that as a prayerful priority, a prayerful attitude of the heart. And the first one that comes up is humility. We need to be humbled in prayer. We need to ask that God would humble us and not that we would come with some sort of pride or arrogance. We need to express our dependence and neediness. And we get this from the word give. When we pray, God, will you give me understanding? We're expressing humility, saying, I don't have it in myself. What I need is for you to do the work to open my eyes. We also see that we need to be teachable. We need to not have this sort of resistant or even uninterested attitude when approaching God's word. And so we pray to have a teachable spirit, to be sincere and have a willingness to see and be changed by what God's word says. And we see that in the verbs of teach or lead, teach me, lead me. That's a submitted attitude that says, I'm willing to change if your word is instructing me to live according to something different than how I believe currently. We also see an attitude that we ought to be awestruck. We ought not to come to God's word with any sort of apathy or even an unimpressed attitude. We ought to actually be amazed at the privilege we have to study and delight in God's word. That he has spoken his word and preserved it for us to actually be able to know the God who has saved us. And we get this from the words that he says, open my eyes to behold. And in prayer, we, when we humble ourselves before God, guys, we, we get into a point where we're actually speaking to the living God who created everything. And if there's no amazement, if you're not awestruck, labor in prayer before you open the book. Labor in prayer to say, God, I need to see who you are more clearly, and I need to delight in what I already know to be true of you so that when I come to your word, I am, I am looking to be amazed at who you are, not looking for, for answers to my problems, but it actually focuses in me on who God is. Another prayerful attitude of the heart ought to be love for God. Not, there ought not to be this um, self-love, but rather a love for God. Our affections ought to be set aflame as we come to God's word. And we see this in the descriptions of the Psalms that says that we delight in his law. There ought to be a joyful rejoicing and a love and adoration for God as we come to his word. And then lastly, a prayerful attitude of the heart ought to be that we have zeal to know God. There ought to be a passionate plea, God, I must know you. Help me to know you more this eager effort over and over again. We ought to not come begrudgingly asking, all right, I need some answers to my questions or uh, begrudgingly saying, well, this is my obligation. I just have to do this. But there, ought, there ought to be a zeal to say, this is God's best. This is God's delight. This is God's goodness for me that I get to know him. Lord, help me to know you more. And I couldn't really tie this to a, a specific verb that I observed, but if you try to read all of Psalm 119, 176 verses, you'll get the zeal. <laughs> you'll get the flavor of saying, he took the whole alphabet and said, I'm going to spend eight verses in each alphabet of the Hebrew alphabet, that is, and I'm going to spend all this time saying, I am passionately, totally absorbed in wanting to know who God is. We ought to have a, a prayerful heart of zeal as we come to God's word. We ought to not be content with lesser motivations. There are others. 
We have concern. We have even curiosity. But we ought to ask the Lord to stir our hearts, to actually be captivated with our Creator, to savor the Savior, to love your Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We serve a God who can raise the dead, who can remove a stone of heart and replace it with spiritual hearts of flesh. We should pray in faith that God would give us hearts to seek him wholeheartedly in his word. This is a heart that is walking in the spirit. This is an attitude of the heart that spurs on a lifetime of diligent study, a lifetime of knowing and following God. But in addition to prayer, we must seek to know God as he has revealed himself through reading his word. So we actually need to understand how to read the Bible. And this seems really rudimentary, and it is, but again, we kind of assume things or pick up on things from little observations, and so it's important to put out front and say it clear and loud how we're actually supposed to read the Bible. I think we know already that reading is a necessary ingredient for Bible study. And if we are to know God, we must hear his voice through his written word. And we see good examples of this in Scripture. Acts 17, 11, um, the Bereans are highlighted in Luke's record. And Paul went to Berea and preached to them briefly. And it says that there were Jews there that are described as noble people. Because it says they received the word that was preached with all eagerness. And their eagerness is described in this way, that they were actually examining the scriptures, it says, daily to see if these things were so. They knew God's word was the standard of truth. And if they were to receive word and preaching from others, that God's word was what needed to be examined, what needed to be known and delighted as true. And we see the, really the mandate for Bible study and for understanding God's word and reading in 2 Timothy 2.15. Paul is writing in um, this letter to Timothy, and he says, after emphasizing already that he needs to guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you, and he already says you need to um, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to then teach others also. There's this huge priority of knowing God's word, and he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Up front here, he says, do your best and be a worker. There's going to be effort that's involved in knowing God's word. And he says also that this, this effort is aimed at presenting yourself to God. God is the one who's going to evaluate. This is God's truth that we're dealing with. And we need to make a, a, an actual focused effort and work at understanding God's word. But he also says here that the aim is it to be one that's said to be approved and having no need to be ashamed. So there's actually, and it, the reason he says this is because he describes it as rightly handling the word of truth. And I really want to focus on the word here, rightly. There's a right way to read and handle God's word. And scripture speaks the opposite as well. In 2 Peter 3.16, Peter is actually addressing false teachers, and he's saying that there are some who are ignorant, and they, un, in an unstable way, they twist scripture to their own destruction. There are those who take God's word and they mishandle the word. There's a standard with which we ought to come to study God's word and to read it. But this morning what I'd like to do is, is spend some time discussing through the practical challenges that we all face with reading God's word for the purpose of understanding. 
I think oftentimes uh, we read something, but we really can't remember it if you asked us 24 hours later. If you're like me, um, I can catch myself not really registering the words in my brain, or I do it in a disjointed way where I read each word individually, but it's not really a sentence, and my eyes just kind of glaze over the sentences, but I'm not actually reading. And I think, raise your hand if you're like sympathetic to that. Okay, good. I'm not by myself. Thank you. Sometimes when we read our Bibles, uh, we're really just looking for a spark or something to catch our attention or that looks interesting, but Um, If I can gently just say that's actually more like browsing for clothes or even like channel surfing. We're just going to God's word, just kind of looking for something that piques my interest. That's not actually reading. And ironically, in an age of information overload, the skill of reading is becoming more and more rare. We'd rather watch the movie than read the book. We'd rather listen to a sermon than study a passage. We need to grow as readers if we are to grow as students of God's word. And if I can tell you, believer, this morning, there is, there is so much joy and confidence in knowing what God has said from his word directly. There's, there's nothing that will anchor your soul. There's nothing that builds you up and breaks you down. There's nothing that strengthens your faith Nothing that grows a burning love and amazement for God like reading God's word and knowing what he has said. It builds conviction in your life. And what happens as we try to read and pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, eventually we just kind of get frustrated and we don't see necessarily the fruit that we were hoping for in reading God's word. But let me encourage you not to give up. It's a lifetime task of reading and delighting in God's word. So don't give up. Reading, like most things, also is a skill. It's something that can be learned, something that can be practiced, trained, and even improved. But reading, make no mistake, is a discipline. It's a discipline to read. It's a conscious and concentrated effort to comprehend written communication. Did you catch that? You have to have a concentrated effort to actually comprehend. It takes work I think one of the biggest issues that we have as believers with reading the Bible is our approach. It's not just the effort. It's not just saying, okay, this actually requires me to focus and I need to pay attention. But I think we also need to address how we read the Bible. How is it that we should read the Bible? Let me first ask you, how do you read a newspaper? How do you read a blog post? Or if you opened up a fiction book or a textbook or poetry or a biography, or even if you're reading a text message or an email. How do you read those things? You just kind of do it, right? (laughs) You just kind of look at the words, and you comprehend, and you read it. But there seems to be this stuff happening behind the scenes, right? If I'm reading a newspaper, I don't necessarily do that the same way I read a fiction book. And if I pick up a math textbook, I'm not reading it like poetry, right? There's actually literature that plays in that you just kind of, in the back of your mind, are saying, I'm already thinking about the author, the audience, the genre with which this is written. You're already thinking through some of these things. There's an intuitive awareness that happens when you are reading. And you ask questions in your head, and you think about who's writing to who, and at what time was this book written, and what style is it written, and what's the literature, what's the genre, even thinking about the grammar, and there's even actually an expectation that there's consistency. 
you're reading a blog post, you're like, he's making an argument, but this doesn't seem to be consistent. That seems inconsistent, but that's your expectation then because you're reading it and you're saying that's not really in line. That's how we read when we come to other literature, but we'd rightly say that the Bible isn't ordinary literature, right? And yes and amen to that. The Bible is not um, ordinary. It is the very word of God. It is unique and unlike any other book, we would say, in its origin. It's, it has a divine author, the living God, who is therefore authoritative. That's why God's word is to be believed and obeyed. We would also say, because it's inspired by God, that it's inerrant. It doesn't affirm any error, and it's infallible, meaning it cannot have error. God's words are true, and he never lies. On top of that, this is an ancient text, and it's culturally very distinct from us. And on top of that, there's several different human authors covering multiple millennia in three languages, none of which are actually naturally our own. So now we're at the place where we normally are, right? This Bible seems very different, very foreign to me, and it's a totally different context. But let me, let me explain this important truth with understanding how we come to read God's Word. Hopefully you're still tracking with me. Inspiration does not mean that God breaks the rules of ordinary human communication. Inspiration actually means that he uses ordinary communication. And that's God's grace to us. That it's not this cryptic decoder because it's so foreign. It does take effort because it's a very different context than what we currently live in. But he actually spoke through, he says in Hebrews 1, through the prophets in the Old Testament. And he's spoken through his son. And if you look at the languages that he wrote in, that, that God's word was written in originally, it was always in the modern common language of the audience that was being spoken to. I think it's important that we recognize that inspiration means that God follows the ordinary human communication rules. And some of us would ask rightfully, what about dreams? What about Daniel's dreams where he's even saying, I don't even know what I just saw. I don't know what that means. Or in the New Testament where they're speaking in tongues and there's not understanding. I think we would rightly be able to read those texts in context and see that they actually needed interpreters. If we go to those parts, Daniel needed an angel or we needed an interpreter of languages to say, this is non-ordinary communication and it's actually not helpful. Like we don't know what's going on yet and so it hasn't actually revealed um, or for us to comprehend what God is communicating yet. We need an interpreter to understand those unordinary forms of communications. But what we need to understand is that the exception is meant to highlight the norm because it is just that. It's an exception. And when we look at the majority of Scripture and see that God is clearly communicating in human language what is to be known and believed, we ought to be encouraged to understand that although this is an unordinary, extraordinary book in its nature because it is written by God, God is the divine author, it is supernatural revelation, we need to understand that it's given through natural language. It's given through natural language. And that ought to encourage us and praise God for that, that he actually, in his grace, has communicated to us in a way that can be understood through natural languages. So, to get this point across, we need to read the Bible naturally and honestly. We need to not look for some sort of cryptic code or some sort of numerology or something. We need to read through the author's intended meaning. That's what we ought to look for. This author was looking to actually communicate something to its original audience, and we need to look for that through the historical, the, even the grammar, even the, the literary context in which it was written. 
And I think there's several ways that even in our personal Bible reading that we don't actually do this. So I want to address a couple of those up front. One is we, we chop up text into tiny sections. For me, I, I grew up in a church context and I was, went through the Awana program and they just cherry pick all these verses and I love it. It was a huge blessing to me still to this day. I love the Awana program. I'm not knocking it. But one of my observations, because nobody told me this is how you should read the Bible, is that I just flip open my Bible and I, I look for verses that I'm just supposed to memorize or figure out without any sort of context of knowing who wrote it or where it was going to or when it was written. And I just kind of looked at different pieces. But friends, I hope, I hope we can see the, the folly of that because we're, we're just ripping things out of context and, and just applying it in any way we see fit. And that really makes us the author. We're just cutting and pasting in any way we see fit and we're not giving the due um, rights of reading, we would say, even to just understand what the author was communicating. And if you think about a puzzle, whenever you're doing a puzzle, you dump out all the pieces, and if you're like me, I always go for the edge pieces first, because they always got this flat edge, or you go for the four corners, and you start working on all those pieces to give you a frame of understanding. And it should be the same in our reading, but you're always referencing the big picture, right? You're always looking at the box to say, where do these pieces fit? Where do they go? Because if I'm just putting them in random spots, I'm not actually going to build the piece, the, the entire puzzle, in the right way. So I need to actually understand the greater context of what's going on. If you don't know something, let me encourage you to set it aside. I think one of the disciplines of reading is actually being willing to say, you know what, I don't understand everything about this verse yet. And I can totally sympathize with this because I'm a numbers guy, I'm a math analytics person, and when I read a textbook, I go through and I say, I can't move forward because this, this isn't a logical connection yet for me. And so I stop there until I can hammer it out. But that's not how we actually teach kids to read these days. We say, hey, if you don't understand a word, keep reading. Keep going forward, and, and eventually the, you might actually gain some more understanding based on everything around that word of what's kind of getting at and with, with the author's use of that word. And we need to be really restraining ourselves to move forward in a text to say, I actually need to go further. That's going to give me more understanding of what the author is intending to mean rather than me just trying to import every definition. If you, if you open up a dictionary and you just fill in definitions up to every word of a sentence, you may get a totally different meaning than what was actually meant by the author. So it's not this equation of using the transitive property of equality as much as the definitions are helpful but they provide, provide parameters for us to understand what the author was meaning in, its, in their original context. So we need to understand, again, we don't want to chop up Scripture into all these tiny sections. The helpful way to read God's Word is in long and large passages to get the big picture of what's being said. And that provides you the guardrails with which you actually be able to understand the smaller pieces I think we also fail um, at being um, honest readers of Scripture when we try to spiritualize truths rather than study it to become wise. I think if you just import a spiritual meaning in, in, inside to a text, what you're saying is that the meaning defined by this text is, is actually inside of me. And so I actually get to decide what these texts mean for me. But that's making me the author. I'm not submitting to God as the author of the text. We also contend to read as if we are the original audience. We sometimes think that everything's written directly to us and we just insert ourselves into the text, but we need to have an attitude coming to God's word that this is, in large measure, most broadly, we could say God's revelation of himself. 
We need to be reading Scripture looking to see who God is. And we need to not read everything as if it's about me. So some reading habits that I wanted to convey this morning that will be beneficial to you is one, we need to have a regular time of reading. We need to set aside a consistent time to be in God's Word. I would even suggest get a specific place, a specific time that you set aside. Because I'll tell you what, if you don't plan to do it, then you plan to not do it. So not having a plan is a plan to fail, right? I think we've heard that proverbial before. So make an intentional, regular time that you set aside to read God's word in long sittings. And even if, um, what I more read is long passages. It doesn't mean like, okay, I'm going to set aside two hours every day. Most of us can't do a two-hour sitting reading. I mean, I, even if I had the time, I mean, I've got like reader's narcolepsy, and it's just like open the page, I'm out. You know, just I can't read that long. I don't have that discipline built yet, but I'm trying to grow in that, right? And I think we all need to. But we also need another reading habit would be have a, have a routine plan. And what I mean by that is, is have a set plan of what you are going to read. It's kind of like if you go to your closet in the morning and you spend 15 minutes just deciding what outfit you're going to wear. It's like, well, we're wasting time. I need to be reading God's Word, so I need to have a plan ahead of time. Okay, I'm going to read Ephesians this week. I'm going to go through and I'm going to read it multiple times so I can get the big picture, and then I'm going to go through and take some notes and be diligent in Ephesians. And then after that, I'm going to go to a gospel. I'm going to switch literature. I'm going to go to a, a gospel narrative, and I'm going to read it through a whole time once, and then go through and take big sections and try to see the, the overall layout of what Matthew was planning. But you need to have a, some sort of plan on where you're going. Some people really enjoy reading plans or going through the Bible chronologically. It's really helpful to have a plan ahead of time so that you're being diligent in your time of reading. Also, we need to recognize that there ought to be repetition. Don't assume that since you've read it once, you're done. I don't know if you've read... Um, any sort of Christian living book before, but sometimes they'll have these Bible verses inserted in it. And even if they type out the verse, I mean, I'm guilty of this. Sometimes I skip the verse. You know, I'm more interested in the author's content and I'm just like rebuked by that. It's like, I just skipped the verse because like, oh yeah, I know that verse. You know, John three 16, I'm gonna read it again. I know what that says. And rather than saying, no, I ought to prioritize God's word, even if I'm reading another author, if they're making a point from this text, I need to reread the text and I need to be, honest and prioritize that. So don't be afraid of repetition. Read and reread. And I would encourage you, even read in different faithful translations. You can read through the ESV, the NASB, the NIV. Those are helpful because it actually causes you to think through, okay, I've read this verse. I, I understood it before in its context, but there's different translators that are prioritizing different um, verbs or nouns in the English language to communicate that same meaning. And it helps you really dig deeper into the text when you go through and you read it in different versions that are faithful um, translations. I would also recommend that you record your thoughts. So as you're reading, um, either as you're reading, and some suggest doing it after, but make sure you have some sort of written down thoughts. This is a huge tool in retaining what you've read. Even if they're not interpretive thoughts, just writing down, Jesus was with the disciples, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus was speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. It doesn't have to be anything profound, but what you're doing is you're putting down in words what it is you're reading, and it helps you to build in retention, to actually record. And it, it, it's a huge aid if you have a journal or a notebook that you can set aside. And, and a big part of it, I would say, is, is really putting it down after. 
What, when you read through multiple chapters, what is it afterward that, okay, these were main pillars of what the author was seeking to communicate? Also, I would suggest um, having daily reflection. So don't give up after reading to just set it aside and go take care of the task for the day, but say, I actually want to meditate, as the Psalms talk about, on what God's word has said. So after reading, it's the discipline of saying, I'm actually going to chew on this for a little bit longer. That's what's helpful with writing down is it gives you some thoughts to anchor what is it that was actually communicated in that truth and helps me to reflect for greater understanding of what the author was actually intending and meaning. Another also good helpful habit that happens to start with an R is realistic goals. So I would encourage you, if right now you're, you're struggling with reading, I'm a huge sympathizer, I'm not a strong reader, but I'm seeking to grow in it because I see the need for it. But set realistic goals. If you um, are going to the gym for the first time as your New Year's resolution, you shouldn't put like 400 pounds on the bar to bench press, okay? If you haven't been to the gym in a year, I wouldn't advise that be your first step. And it's the same with reading. If you, if you come into it and you say, man, I'm really convinced from God's word that I need to be reading more and being a diligent student, okay, well, you probably shouldn't set aside five hours for your first Bible reading section. You're probably going to burn yourself out. But set up some goals to say, you know what, I'm going to do 10 minutes every day. I'm going to do 10 minutes every day. And then next week, you're going to say, I'm going to try to do 15 minutes every day. I'm going to set aside 15 minutes every day. And then you keep increasing and growing. And I tell you, what happens is you just want to do it more. And so because it becomes a joy and a priority, you do it more. But you set realistic goals that help get you on that trajectory. And you can start small if needed. I would also suggest a resource Bible. These can be extremely helpful. Um, there also can be a little bit of a temptation and a shortcut. So I would... I would caveat that a little bit to say, get a resource Bible, and that's a, a, a solid study Bible, an ESV study Bible, or John MacArthur has a good study Bible, and I would recommend these because it actually gives you a good overview. At the beginning of the book, they lay out a lot of the details already to say who's the author, what time was it written, who was it written to, what are some general themes over the book. And what that does is it just gives you some of that context of what you're kind of going into, and then you can try to read through it large, big picture-wise, and look at the whole picture as one big idea, and seeking to understand that first. So I would say, though, don't get caught up in all the notes, because you'll be reading man's ideas more than God's. And so don't get caught up in saying, okay, I hit a verse, and I don't understand what it means, I'm just going to jump down to this author's notes and try to understand what they kind of compiled as an interpretive lens. Be diligent and disciplined and have a bridle in your mouth like a horse if you need to, to turn away and say, I don't actually read in my study Bible. I like the you know, two-page overview at the beginning, but actually I read in a Bible that doesn't have all those notes because then I'm not distracted and I have a reading Bible that I'm just going through, seeking to chunk through large chapters of Scripture. And lastly, I would say my advice, and I think that Scripture would support this as well, um, is, is to do it right away. Um, I think it's important for us to set our minds on who God is each and every day. And although this may not be something that looks the same, I would say there's a, there's a great priority that needs to be in every believer's life to say, I need to be humbled before God today. Even if it's a couple minutes in prayer and you're meditating on a passage, you didn't even open it up, but it's a scripture memory verse you have. And you say, I, there's times, and I can totally list off different things where I'm up in the middle of the night with a crying baby and then a wet bed and then whatever it is and I'm like snoozing and I'm just trying to get out of bed, right? But there's, there needs to be a discipline that says, no, I, I need God like I need breath. 
I need to set down and I need to say, God, I can't do this in my own strength today. Whatever it is, I, I can't do it. I need you. And I'm going to humble myself before you and ask that you would help me to delight in your word and your truth first and foremost. So I think there's a, there's a priority that needs to be shown, even in the discipline of our day. To say, I'm not going to first wake up and check my email. I'm not going to look at all the work tasks or the texts and messages. I'm not going to check my social media first. I'm actually going to prioritize God over all those things and say, I'm going to put him first. I'm going to put him first. So big picture-wise, if you had one takeaway with all these disciplines, apply them as you will, but do this most importantly. Read long passages of Scripture. It will, it will transform your understanding of God's Word if you just say, I'm going to be disciplined to read multiple chapters, and I'm not going to put a specific number on it, but you actually ought to be saying, if somebody wrote you a love letter that was 15 pages long, I'm going to read one page today, and then maybe, maybe two pages tomorrow, and... If I have time, I'll read the third page. No, you'd sit down, you'd make time, you'd say, I'm going to read all of this. This is great. I, I want to know and understand what this person's thoughts are. And I think sometimes when we come to God's word, it's like, oh, I read two chapters. Man, that's really long. And I think we have this false framework of any other sort of books that we read, and we import that to say, well, two chapters in a book that's written by an author today is very much longer than two chapters that have a breakdown in scripture, Right? Uh, most of the chapters in Scripture aren't inspired, unless you have an acrostic psalm, right, that's actually inspired. But most of them are all breakdowns that are put on the text to organize it so that we can reference it quickly, both the verses and the chapters. But it's meant to be read in its entirety, in its whole. So take time to actually read them in its whole context. There's a helpful illustration of uh, the forest and the trees. If we want to detail look at the trees in God's word of the individual verses and the meaning that's meant there, we must not separate that from the giant forest that that tree is already sitting in. We need to look at the forest as a whole to see what is the big picture of what God is revealing about himself and his plan of redemption, and then that will help me to understand the individual trees. So read big passages of scripture. And then the last encouragement I wanted to give was really just about pace of reading. And I, I don't even know what my words per minute is. It's probably like five or something, but it's really slow. But I would say the average reader I looked up is about 238 words per minute. That's an average reader. And there's eight, about 800,000 words in the Bible. So the math of that is it's about 57 hours of reading. That's what it takes to read the entire Bible. And what it breaks down to is you can actually read the entire Bible in a year if you simply read for 10 minutes every day. If you set aside just 10 minutes a day and you went through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, cover through cover, you will get through the entire Bible in one sitting. If you did 30 minutes a day, you would get through the Bible in about three times an entire year. And I can tell you that the faster pace in reading, this discipline, this effort that we need to put into being better readers will help you to understand God's word better. Because what happens is I can't remember five days ago what I was reading. But if I can get those readings closer together, I'm going to see the big picture a lot better. And so that's where the speed of reading is actually something we ought to pursue better as students of God's Word. Say, I need to grow in how quickly I can obtain these words together to see the big picture of what the author is seeking to communicate. These are habits that will sustain a lifetime of intentional Bible study and will enable you to be enriched in your study to know and follow God. So, our Bible lesson today was 
pray, and read, right? I was reminded in going through this, it is really the fundamentals. Uh, I was thinking of the children's song that I had growing up. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you will grow, grow, grow. But I hope you know more than a children's song this morning. I hope you are convinced by scripture that these are disciplines of prayer and reading that we ought to be growing in, that we ought to be eagerly pursuing in our lives as children of God. So the question for you now is how will you live differently? What will you do differently this week? What is your plan of action? Will you take steps to grow in a prayerful, humble spirit that is pursuing to know God as he's revealed himself in his word? So next week, um, please come back. We'll be continuing our study through how to study the Bible. And we're going to be looking in our third lesson about um, this process of inductive Bible study. Praying and reading is part of the process front to back. But there is this systematic approach of saying, I want to understand what God's word says. And that involves observation, interpretation, and application. And we want to talk through that in detail together. And we'll start that next week. Lastly, I just wanted to mention a resource for you guys. Um, This is written by uh, Michael Riccardi, and it's a book called The Forest and the Trees. And this this book is probably the top reason I love this book is it's 65 pages long. I mean, that's just like music to my ears as a a poor reader. (laughs) 65, that's like a pamphlet. I can read that. I'm so encouraged, and I can put it on my stack of books read this year that are all about this thin. But I love it because it's really helpful, and it helps you to see the big picture of understanding... I need to read through big chunks of the Bible, and I need to do this so that it helps me understand the big picture of what God's commuting so that I can dig into the details to know the meaning of individual texts. So if you're interested in further understanding um, the principles that we've talked about today, I would encourage you to pick up the forest and the trees. But with that, we'll be dismissed. Um, I hope to see you back here at 1030 as we uh, join our hearts and worship to our great God together. But you are dismissed.